Jeremy. What's up? Have you ever tried acupuncture? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I don't think so. You don't know if you've tried acupuncture? Did someone acupuncture you in your sleep? Or <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm now realizing that was a weird answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, yourself. I, I've, I've had treatments that involve needles that look like acupuncture, but I do not think they've been used in acupuncture ways. No. They've been more for use like uh, dry needling or like I feel like I've had somebody who's trained in acupuncture like put a couple needles in me just to show me what it felt like. But I don't okay. think I've actually had acupuncture. Like from a trained professional who was doing that on purpose to give you acupuncture type therapy. Yes. Got it. Okay. Correct. Understood. Okay. That's a weird answer, but I'll take it. Yeah, 25 um, seconds about... to answer that first question. You're welcome. Well, I'm glad we're having this episode then. Yeah. Well, how about this? Have patients ever asked you about these types of practices? All the time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel this a lot. I mean, according to the NIH, so and, and a subset of that would be the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. So acupuncture is a technique in which practitioners insert fine needles into the skin, like you talked about, to treat health problems. Um, the needles can be manipulated manually or stimulated with small electrical currents. That's called electroacupuncture. Um, acupuncture has been used in some form or another for at least 2,500 years, which is pretty rad. So according to the WHO, um, 103 of 129 reporting countries use acupuncture. I'm not going to name all those countries, but it's a lot of countries. So the majority of the reporting countries utilize it in some way. Um, in the United States, about 6.4% of adults reported using acupuncture at some time in their lives. And this was a study from 2012. And then in the U.S., it's most commonly used for pain. So like back pain or neck pain or joint dysfunction. Um, so research, there's tons and tons and tons of research about this. In fact, our uh, upcoming guest has, has uh, contributed to a lot of that research as well. Um, shows that acupuncture has both uh, like a central nervous system effect and a local effect. So, you know, the central effect, it can affect the brain and nervous system function globally, as well as having local connective tissue effects. So there's a lot of studies looking at the more like, quote unquote, non-specific effects of acupuncture. And these show that acupuncture consistently and significantly associates with these effects when compared to like a sham procedure. So like fake acupuncture, the people that received real acupuncture consistently and significantly had these actual nonspecific effects more frequently than folks getting a sham procedure. Um, So there's a a huge list of research links, um, and I'll link that in our show notes through the NIH, um, and breaking down the data in many conditions for which acupuncture can be really helpful. And some of these include pain, um, cancer and cancer treatment symptoms, um, seasonal allergies, urinary incontinence, depression, quitting smoking, infertility, carpal tunnel syndrome, hot flashes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've been excited about this episode because I think I am asked about acupuncture or integrative medicine a lot. And I think my general response is usually I think it's not going to be harmful. So as long as you're doing it with somebody who knows what they're doing, I have no problem with it. But that's not a great answer. Yeah. Mine is usually like, I I think that there's a lot of data that it works. I don't know how it works, but just because I don't know how it works doesn't mean it's not a good, helpful thing for you. You know, just because it wasn't taught to me in medical school doesn't mean that it's not valid. So I think that we need to be taught. What do you think? I'm excited to give a better answer to that as soon as we're done with this episode. <laughs> yeah. So really the million dollar question here is how can we recognize symptoms and situations where we should seek care from an acupuncture or integrative medicine specialist? And how do we find these people? So fortunately, our guest is an absolute expert in all things acupuncture and integrative medicine to here to help us understand more. 
Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name is Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right, we're back. I would love to welcome our, our wonderful esteemed guest, Dr. Angela Lorbeck. Uh, Dr. Lorbeck has so many letters after her name. I actually looked all of them up because I'm uh, I'm a A plus student. Um, so she's an assistant professor at Rush in the Department of Behavioral Sciences, and she teaches through Rush Medical College, where Jeremy and, and mine's alma mater. Um, she's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. She's been in the field of integrative medicine at Rush for 20 years. Her passion is educating people about the evidence-based role of integrative medicine in patient-centered care. She's an accomplished educator and speaker and has contributed greatly to academic writing regarding integrative medicine and acupuncture. This includes book chapters and reviews of professional journals, as well as online educational materials. She also works with the lay press and media to provide evidence-based data, which we absolutely need. So, Dr. Lorbeck, Angela, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm, I'm so stoked. Oh, you guys, this is so fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. So, you're a specialist in acupuncture and integrative medicine. That is so rad. Um, tell us, give us your origin story. Tell us about how you got there. Got here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my journey into this field started in the mid nineties. At that time I was, I was pursuing my first master's degree in public health education in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, and during that time I, I, I started to get really interested in the field of psychoneuroimmunology, which is essentially the study of how the mind and body communicate and influence one another, right? So for example, we all experience stress in our life. And when, when we are in a, in a state of kind of high reactivity um, and stressed out, sometimes it lands physically with like tight muscles or a headache or a gut ache. And so that's kind of like the mind-body connection. And I was fascinated. I, I actually wanted to do my master's thesis exploring the role of humor in pain management and that was kind of poo-pooed by my thesis committee chair, which I was really upset about. Um, oh. I know, right? Just like, gosh, um, they said it was going to be too complicated. Um, whatever. So anyway, despite that, I continued to just get my hands on as many books as I could. And I started doing informational interviews with with people in the field because I was like, what do these people even do? Like, what is their what is their educational background? What are they doing in real life? And eventually, one of those conversations landed me um, connecting with um, a faculty member at the at uh, Rush, uh, a College of Nursing faculty member by the name of Dr. Jan Zeller, and she was doing PNI research um, in in the lab at Rush. And um, so we stayed in touch, and uh, I reached out to her uh, a couple years after our initial conversation. And she's like, this is such amazing timing. I had just received, um, it was just awarded um, a, a fairly large grant from the NIH um, National Center for Complementary and Integrative uh, Health. And the idea was to um, develop curriculum for the undergraduate and the nursing students to learn about the value of integrative medicine and patient-centered care. So I came on board in 2002 as a research assistant, um, had a wonderful time with the faculty members in the College of Nursing, I will forever be grateful to Jan Zeller, who 
is still a dear friend of mine to this day. And the other faculty members, um, they took me under their wing. I, I had really no experience in academic medicine, so I would just, um, it was really fun to do. And then when that grant ended, um, it just so happened that I was also finishing up the master's in Chinese medicine. And it was at the time when Rush was ready to create uh, an integrative medicine program for specifically for cancer. So kind of all the stars aligned. And so fast forward, I've been providing acupuncture as an adjunct uh, for people with cancer for the past 15 years. Um, and, you know, collaborating and research and lecturing and doing all the things that are just so fun and geeky. Um, and uh, so that's that's my story. I love that story. That's wonderful. Uh, you, I think you you outlined it very well. Sometimes it's very difficult, especially for me, to stay on task when I'm, when I'm talking about myself, but you did a bang up job. Oh, I mean, thanks. so you mentioned, you know, uh, a lot of your one-on-one -on -one patient care seems to be more towards folks that are going through cancer diagnoses and, um, and cancer treatment. But, you know, and just in general, I wanted to like walk us through a typical patient that you would see in the office. So like, for example, let's pretend I'm, I come to see you. Um, and my chief complaint could be anything, um, uh, anxiety, fatigue, um, general burnout feelings, <laughs> et cetera. Okay. You know, how would you work me up? Like what, walk me through what it would be like if I came to see you in the office for treatment. Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about my role is that I have 90 minutes with every single patient that I, that I see. And so the very first session is typically uh, much longer than any follow-up visit because it's really a time for me to gather as much information as I can, because from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's uh, it's important to n not only understand what someone's chief complaint is, right, and get all of that information. So let's just say, Julie, that your your complaint was pain, which is one of the probably the number one reasons why physicians refer patients to me, and the number one reason why patients seek seek out my services. So let's just say it is pain management, and so similar to a Western physician, um, I'll ask. You know, what is what is the pain condition? When did it start? Do you have a medical diagnosis? Typically, what are your what's the average pain rating? What makes it worse? What makes it better? What treatments have you done to date? Um, how does how does this pain affect your quality of life? How does it affect your sleep, your activities of daily living? Does it radiate like all of those things, right? All of those important things. And then once I'm done asking that question, I then kind of dial out and ask more general constitutional health questions. Um, so for, uh, and I'll begin to ask things like, you know, what is your overall energy level? What is your body temperature? How do you typically feel in a room, um, you know, with, uh, in comparison to, with other people? What are your bowel movements like? What's your diet? What, what are your stress levels? Uh, what is, uh, how would you describe your social support? So I, I begin to kind of get to know someone from a, a very, like I said, holistic perspective. And then what's really unique about when you when if someone someone comes to see a Chinese medicine provider is that in addition to talking, um, we'll often ask a patient to and I know this might sound weird, but we'll often ask a patient to to uh, show us their tongue um, and we'll feel their their pulses. And if you think about it, as you mentioned, Julie, in the beginning, you know, acupuncture is thousands of years old, right? And so back in the day, you know, they, um, the people who were practicing acupuncture, they didn't have imaging studies. They didn't have x-rays and MRIs to, to look to see what was going on internally. So Chinese medicine providers will, will actually look at the tongue, will look at the color of the tongue, the shape of the tongue. Um, is it dry? Does it have coating on it? 
and then feel the pulses. So asking all of those questions and then looking at the, those two things helps us give a, a full uh, picture perspective. And then if someone hasn't had acupuncture before, I make sure to take the time to explain what is going to happen. So I'll typically, if, if patients are okay seeing a needle, I'll open up a package and show them how thin the needle is. I'll share typically what the needles will feel like when they're inserted. Um, we'll talk about what they might want to have happen in terms of making them feel more comfortable. So do they want the table heated? Do, do they want music on? Um, all the things to make that acupuncture experience um, as as nice and as nice as possible. So you get all that information, which is yeah. amazing that you get 90 minutes to do it. I, I, Julie and I have both seen 12 patients in that 90 minutes, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. That was a, and I have, I, I have one bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's hyperbole, but it, we have seen a lot of patients in that 90 it's minutes. not a competition, Jeremy. Yeah. They, well, I don't know who's winning the competition. Depending <laughs> I think on Angela how, is. Depending on how you define winning there. Angela's uh, patients. Yeah. So you get you get all that information. And I think maybe the, the biggest question I have and maybe the listeners would have is, how does all of that information then help the treatment that you're about to do? Yeah. So that's a great question. So as I'm talking with someone, I begin to kind of see patterns um, from a Chinese perspective in terms of, you know, what kind of disharmonies are happening? Are there areas of the body that are are weak and need to be supported? I'm talking from a Chinese perspective. So there, are there organ systems um, that are weaker and need more attention um, from a supportive perspective? And are there other systems that are a little bit like, you know, too active and they need to be calmed down a little bit so that it's all about coming up with an acupuncture prescription to create more equilibrium in the body to help to help itself heal. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Because it makes me think that you finish up in that first session and, and it sounds like you do do acupuncture that first session as well, for the most part. Yeah. Yes, so every time. But it, it, it also sounds like what you've basically mapped out is it's going to be sessions of acupuncture, like you've created now. You're coming back multiple times, almost like the way somebody goes to physical therapy, where you send people like two times a week for six weeks. And I'm not saying that that's how people are doing with acupuncture. You're about to tell me how people do it with acupuncture. <laughs> So from my clinical experience and what we see in the scientific literature is acupuncture dose is really important. Um, I often will share with patients, like, I want you to think about acupuncture like, you know, if you have pain, you don't tip and and especially if it's chronic, you don't typically take just one Tylenol and then think that everything is going to be okay, right? It's whatever. So acupuncture, um, for most people, I'll want to see on a weekly basis for up to probably like six to eight weeks. And um, and for patients who are in, let's just say, really chronic, significant pain, um, twice a week is, is typically better if they can manage it from a from a financial um, and time perspective. Well, that's really helpful information. And they'll probably get us into like breaking into like, let's break down like the myths and misinformation about acupuncture and integrative medicine. Um, and one of those, as you just kind of brought up, would be, you know, uh, financial constraints, like on the whole, what what do you see as far as this being generally covered by insurance, or is an out of pocket expense, or what are you seeing there as far as expense is concerned? Yeah, yeah. So one of the nicest things and generous things that the cancer center does is provide our patients with their first three sessions at no charge, which lifts a lot of barriers um, and allows people to experience acupuncture and kind of 
get a sense to see, you know, what it's all about and if it might be helpful. Um, there are some insurance companies that do cover acupuncture, but it varies from person to person. Sometimes it's unlimited. Sometimes it's 10 sessions. T- sometimes it's 20. Sometimes it's nothing. Um, and then, it, and then you know, sometimes there are co-pays and sometimes it just depends on, you know, how much a patient has already paid into their um, their medical expenses. Yeah. And my perfunctory looking into it just by looking at the NIH and the NCCIH website was saying that Medicare specifically currently only covers it for chronic back pain. So interesting. You could could tie it to that diagnosis. But then um, there was a survey done in 2018 and 2019 that said 50.2. So about half of U.S. insurance covered visits for adult acupuncture, according to a survey done. So, you know, I think obviously just like anything else, you know, these what are considered maybe more ancillary type medical treatments um, vary in their coverage by provider to provider. But certainly, if, uh, you know, if you think with, with the amount of data that supports this, one would hope that it would be covered a bit better. How much does acupuncture generally cost if somebody's paying out of pocket for it? So acupuncture can vary. I mean, sometimes acupuncture, if it's in a, like a community, um, a community acupuncture setting can be sliding scale. So, you know, whatever someone can afford um, at Rush, if someone is going to be paying out of pocket for it, we charge um, $75. There are some places that charge $150, $200 a session. Okay. And then I assume HSA, FSA eligible, meaning for if somebody were to use it, pay out of pocket, it's still a medical treatment that they could then use those, those flex spending accounts on. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well worth it too. Yes. Excellent. And and that was that kind of wants to get into my sort of debunking of myths and myth and misinformation. Is it all placebo effect, Angela? Yeah. You know, it's that I, I love that you're asking that question too, Julie, because, you know, it, so the answer is yes and or yes, but I mean, so if and this is with anything, right? This is yeah. so a, a placebo effect is is essentially that if you believe something is going to help you, it probably will have some sort of benefit. And they have found that to be true with acupuncture. Unlike Western medicine, like let's say that there is a, they're doing a study on medications and and if they're going to have a placebo group, they'll often have like a sugar pill, right? The, the control group is the sugar pill. And then the, and then the experimental group will receive the, 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 the medication or whatever. And studies have found that even those people who receive the sugar pill, if they believe that that's going to benefit them, there's a benefit. So acupuncture is the use of sterile, thin, very thin, you know, thin um, needles. And so studying acupuncture is often really pretty difficult because it's a it's a needle. You can't. Right. But there are retractable needles um, that are used to do placebo studies, but it's still touching the skin. It's not it's not. Um, penetrating through the the skin into the muscle like regular acupuncture does, but there's still this, you know, a, a sensation of the needle. So yes, if 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 people believe that acupuncture is going to be of help to them, certainly there uh, there are benefits from from that perspective. But there's also, um, and and you kind of you both alluded to this um, earlier. I mean, there's lots of research to show that acupuncture works. Via, via various mechanisms of action, uh, release of hormones of endorphins, right, for pain management, serotonin for kind of mood regulation and sleep. We know acupuncture reduces inflammation, boosts the immune system, 
Um, and uh, what's really cool is that um, most recently acupuncture has been found to kind of work through the uh, connective tissue, kind of sending signaling through the connective tissue to help aid with healing. So um, it's, a, it's a cool therapy. I'm so interested in the nitty gritty of like the actual procedure itself. So mm -hmm. the, a patient is lying on a table most times? Yep. So we have hydraulic tables. So a patient will get on the table. They'll either be face up or face down. So let's just say someone's face up. They'll have a, a pillow underneath their, their neck. They'll have a bolster underneath their knees to support their low back. I'll wash my hands. I'll glove up. I'll take alcohol prep pads to the areas that are going to be um, where I'm going to be applying the needle. Um, I'll get out the needles. They're, of course, all sterile, single-use only, right? Um, disposed of after the treatment. And then I begin inserting uh, one needle at a time. And so, and all of the needles are um, kind of the packaging. The needle is surrounded by a plastic guide tube. So it's actually the guide tube that I'm pressing against the skin and then inserting the needle through that guide tube. So we're not, we're not touching the needle itself. Um, and so what a patient will experience is upon that like insertion, there is a slight pinch and there can be kind of a heaviness and achiness around the needle site itself. But then after they're in, you know, unless a patient accidentally moves, um, you, you really don't feel them. Uh, ironically, a lot of patients actually fall asleep during the treatment. So <laughs> in any given treatment, um, I'm inserting between four to 44 needles in someone. Um, so the needles are then left in for a half an hour. Um, I give them a, a, a kind of a call button in the, in the event that they need me for any reason. I come in at the end of that half an hour and then take, take the needles and, and, and put them in a sharps container. Jeremy, you said before that you had had some, you know, people try acupuncture and you've also had dry needling, which we can, you know, have Dr. Lorbeck kind of tell us the difference between those two things. Um, I've never had dry needling. I've had acupuncture and it is exactly what Dr. Lorbeck just said it was. It's a, it's a very, I'd say on a scale of one to 10, it's like a one or maybe a two hmm. of the feeling of the needle actually in, going into your skin and soft tissue. Uh, and I have tattoos and, and, and that's more like a, four to a seven depending on where it is so nothing like that kind of needle um and then maybe there is kind of like a yeah like maybe an achy dull pressure sensation after that which almost kind of feels good in a sense of like ooh, i feel like i it's doing its thing <laughs> you know what I mean? but i feel like that's probably very different than, than people would have told me that have been through dry needling who are like it sucks and it's really painful so i don't know what your experience with that was jeremy and then Having, you know, Angela uh, give us, giving us your professional explanation. Yeah, I mean, so so dry needling we is used most frequently in like physical therapy type situations mm -hmm. where people will take an acupuncture needle and then put it into, generally speaking, a trigger point, which is an area of muscle that kind of has a spasm. And then by moving the needle around, so actually you're not keeping the needle still, you're moving it throughout the trigger point to try to release the trigger point. So there's usually like a burning sensation. Sometimes there's twitching. And it can be helpful for releasing spasm. I think having Angela chime in on the difference between these two things would be helpful because I think people are probably seeing both of these things. No, I mean, you did a fantastic job. I really don't have much else to, to add to that, Jeremy. But it's my understanding that trigger points have higher kind of uh, electrical conductivity um, in that part of the muscle. And so that's why people will often experience kind of that, that jump or that spasm versus kind of 
uh, traditional acupuncture points. And so when someone is doing dry needling, they're doing it to, you know, like you said, release the muscle to help reduce pain. When a practitioner of Chinese medicine is using needles, we're doing it to kind of help the body systemically, right? We're trying to get to the, not only address the symptom itself, but, but utilizing the various acupuncture points, the actions and indications of a combination of things to also heal the, the body kind of holistically, right? From the, from like a, a root perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll often share with patients and they love this analogy. I'm like, you know what? I just want to remind you that, you know, all, everybody has this beautiful, there, there's an innate intelligence of the body to help itself heal. But sometimes the body needs to be reminded of that. And acupuncture is like this beautiful kind of text message to the body of, of what I'm wanting it to do. Um, and so patients are like, oh, I love that concept. I do too. Yeah, we also all love text messages. So that's <laughs> yeah, that's started this podcast to begin with. Yeah. Acupuncture yeah. is like a beautiful text message. I'm so like, I, yeah. just walked, I just walked out after this treatment that you walked me through. Now, what are you telling me to expect over the next 24, 48 hour yes. week, week or whatever? No, that's great. So I'll often ask patients to stay in a place of curiosity in terms of how the treatment uh, affects them. Um, you know, I would say of, of all of my patients that I've seen, and I've given tens of thousands of treatments in, in 15 years, I would say that there is, if I were to draw a bell curve, which I'm doing right here, um, 5% of my patients respond like it's incredible their response to treatment, they are able to, they will say, I have, I can't even believe, I don't even know what just happened, but I haven't been able to go from a laying to a sitting to a standing position with with this amount of flexibility in years. They're, they're floored. Then there are people within this part of the bell curve, and I would say maybe 70, 65, 70% of people that they begin to see a reduction in the in the pain frequency, intensity, the impact of pain from a quality of life perspective over the course of several weeks. Um, and then there are people at the opposite end of the spectrum that, you know, after six or eight treatments, there's there's no response. So what I'll typically say, again, Jeremy, to, to someone is just, I'll say, I want you to stay in a place of curiosity because I'm going to ask you next week when you return, what did you notice following the treatment? And I and I really want you to pay attention. Um, and uh, so it, I can never guarantee how anybody's going to respond to treatment. And I think that bell curve analogy is, is how we would categorize any kind of treatment response. There's going to be super responders. There's going to be the majority of people that get some benefit uh, to different levels. And then there's going to be some rec- recalcitrant cases for which this isn't going to be the thing for them. And I think understanding and explaining it to people ahead of time, you can manage their expectations, which I think is so important when we're uh, getting informed consent from from folks. Yeah. And, and one thing that I want to add um, is that so even if so, if if there's a patient kind of in that middle of the bell curve, right, where it takes several weeks. But what's interesting, you guys, is that while they may not see a difference in their pain immediately. What patients start to notice almost immediately are the side effects of the acupuncture. And the the majority of the time, the side effects are really positive. So people will say, my God, 
I left your office and I was so calm and I felt so centered and I felt like I had was able to think more clearly. That night I slept like a rock. Um, and so those things, you know, but I don't like to, I don't like to kind of put that in people in, in someone's head. I like for, I, I just, that's what I say. I say, stay in a place of curiosity. I just want you to pay attention to how you feel. Um, and then, and then report back to me next week. I think walking people through like what a patient experience typically looks like uh, can, can lessen some of the concerns or the, the worries that folks might have. And I think one big one that you've already addressed is, you know, needles are scary. Is this safe? What are, what are the potential, you know, what are the p- potential negative side effects? Dr. Lorbeck. Yeah. So yes, any. I mean, needles. Yeah, no, there are. Um, I mean, needles, needles can be very scary. Um, because when most people think about needles, right, what the image that comes to mind are those awful uh, hypodermic needles that are used for blood draws. And I'm even, I mean, even me, right, who I stick needles in people all day long. I'm always like this, like I turn my head away. I'm like, hurry up, put it in. But, you know, acupuncture does come with various cautions and contraindications. You know, if, if you're receiving acupuncture, which I would recommend that that you know that people receive acupuncture from people who have the correct training and background and credentialing and licensing. Um, typically, uh, you know, acupuncture is is generally considered really really pretty safe. Um, it is common. There are there can be some minor side effects uh, that include um, maybe a small bruise at a needle site. Someone might leave feeling a little bit more extra fatigued. Um, and um or lightheaded or whatever um but that only lasts a little a little bit of time um there are instances and there have been there have been cases where acupuncture has had some pretty severe um adverse events um for example uh infections um if needles are being reused um organ punctures i mean so you you it's imperative that people go to um a provider who is as a great reputation and a, and a stellar background. Build on that, because I think one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is that it's very difficult to find a reputable provider because you don't really know how to do that. When you Google reputable provider, it doesn't really tell you who actually knows what you're <laughs> talking about. So yeah. like, like who, how do you become an acupuncturist? And like, how do you weed out who's a good and who's bad? Yeah, no, that's great. So in this, in, the United States, so acupuncture is regulated in 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 forty seven states, um, and so each state has its own you know own own requirements. In the state of Illinois, you are required at a minimum to have your master's degree in acupuncture, um, and or acupuncture in Chinese medicine. You have to be um, uh, you have to have your you have to be board certified, and then obviously state licensed. Um, so. In order to find someone, um, the our credentialing board is a wonderful uh, resource for people, which is the uh, NCCAOM, the National um, Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. So that's a great. It, uh, you go to the find a practitioner um, part on that on that page, um, and uh, so that's that's where I would start. Um, but you know, if someone is interested in trying to find someone. I mean, that's great that they can go on, on online and try to find someone, but I think it's best 
for that a conversation to happen with their their healthcare provider. You know, at you know, have a conversation. Ask that healthcare provider if they happen to know of someone in the field that they feel would be a good fit. If in fact that healthcare provider doesn't know someone, begin asking friends or family. You know, for a referral. Um, once you do find someone, I think it's really important um, to reach out to that person to to do you know, to have a consultation to make sure that they have the right kind of background for what you're looking for. I mean, because people in um, who receive their or, or who practice acupuncture, they, they often specialize in um, in in various uh, types of uh, um, conditions. So fer- fertility, cancer, pain management, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So you want to make sure that you're working with someone who um, has the right background um, and it, and it's, and I think it's also important to make sure that there's a, you know, that if you're, if you like someone would like a warm and fuzzy, like good bedside manner, then that's important too, right? You work at Rush. You work at a hospital system. It's very well known. It's an academic center. I think myself, I would feel comfortable saying I'm going to go see somebody who does acupuncture and they work at the center. And I would imagine that that makes them probably reputable. Are there other settings that reputable acupuncturists work at that also require different amounts of scrutiny or should somebody be looking for somebody at an academic center should they be looking for private practice do you know what i'm saying i do i do yeah i mean you know i i think there are great people in in both settings i mean similar to to western medicine right um so it's it's a hard one i mean i'm biased because i work in academic medicine and and you know we like for me personally, I, you know, only do acupuncture. I don't, I don't prescribe herbs. Someone in private practice will probably, you know, prescribe herbs. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, and, and, and have the ability to do other things in addition to acupuncture, um, you know, cupping and, and using moxon, all these other things. Um, and so I, you know, that's, 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 it's a great question and it's hard to answer. Um, Yeah. Well, I think Angela, you've you you're in an interesting position, and it's not one that I think that I've seen a lot, and maybe not that not a lot of people think a lot when they think of a hospital and like, oh, the hospital's acupuncturist, especially, you know, it's this is uh, a traditional Eastern practice, and I think it's interesting you've integrated integrated medicine into a Western model, and I think that that's really rad, and so I'm really glad that you are willing to you know um, be an educator first. I think that's really yeah. great. Oh, thanks. I think a lot of people may be surprised at how much schooling goes into do acupuncture. Mm-hmm. It is not just putting a needle in skin. It is yeah, doing right. it in certain ways that is trying to do a specific treatment. Yeah. And I want to just make sure that the people who are listening to the show who decide, you know what, I want to try acupuncture, mm-hmm. are finding not just if they go to a website and find if somebody's reputable, but can understand kind of like that it's not just getting it put into a random place and that they should yeah. be weeding through. Because yeah. to get a dry needling certification is a course. Yes. <laughs> like a, yes. like a, week, a weekend course. And so maybe it's not even as much asking you a question as much as making that statement for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think, Dr. Lorbeck, that um, kind of about our midwifery episode, like, yeah, I don't have to have a license to catch a baby, but I'm not a midwife. I'm not a certified midwife. I can't I can't collect monies from insurance from payers unless I have the certification that I'm a midwife. People that are that should be collecting payment or especially collecting payment from insurance companies need to absolutely be maintaining their certification 
in in acupuncture. Yeah, one thousand percent. I mean, and and in order to maintain, right? I mean, just because you graduate with your master's, you you pass the national board exam, and then you get your license. I mean, similar to other health professions, I mean, we have to maintain uh, certain CEs, right, in order to maintain our our both the uh, you know the license and and credentialing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like anything else. It's like me and Jeremy. If we don't maintain our board certification and our and our you know continuing medical education, continuing education, we don't get to do this job because we didn't play ball. So you know, acupuncturists to maintain that need to do the same things, just like midwives do too. Yeah. Uh, if I'm anything like any of our listeners right now, and I think I am because I stated at the beginning of this episode that I felt like I didn't know a lot about this, and I would have clicked on this episode to learn more about it. I think I am intrigued. I would like kind of want to try it now. Like I, I like like I want to do. I want to get some acupuncture. So I guess my question to you is: Can we kind of re-review some of the things that there's really good evidence for to treat? We've already talked about that you work in the cancer field and that pain and chronic pain has been talked about. And Julie actually did a little bit of a list of some things earlier. But I just want to spend a little bit more time on just if somebody was listening and what what things does acupuncture been shown to help. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, we, there's certainly a lot of evidence around around pain management, right? Back pain, knee pain, osteoarthritis. Um, from a cancer perspective, the thing that we see evidence for and what I treat all the time, excuse me, all the time is aromata aromatase inhibitor uh, related joint pain, chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy, xerostomia, which is dry mouth, nausea, um, anxiety, um, and you know, but in terms of other, um, it the the list is 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 long. I mean, there's you can help with, you know, from a from a women's health perspective, it can help regulate menstrual cycles. It can help with menstrual pain. It can help with fertility. Um, you know, from neurological perspective, help with um, migraines and headaches. Um, from an emotional perspective, anxiety and stress and depression. Um, from a dermatological perspective, it can help with skin stuff. There's um, a lot of evidence to, uh, from a GI perspective, to help with yeah, and constipation and acid reflux. And so there's good evidence, you know. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, acupuncture is is safe, and so why not why not refer a patient for this to see if it's going to help? I guess is what yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, right if I'm driving if I'm driving in the car right now and I've got a symptom, it's worth maybe exploring acupuncture to see if it could help. Is kind of what yes. here. Yes. Or if I'm a exhausted parent, <clears throat> if I'm an exhausted parent and <laughs> basically has off and on during the day maybe every one of those symptoms, I should just mm -hmm. uh, you know, yes. see if acupuncture uh, can help. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of our conversation that we had with Dr. Palmer, Scott Palmer about CBD. It sounds like these are like quality of life conditions so i mean and that's why they're so damn common because we all experience them pain anxiety um nausea you know just like it's regular day-to-day -day stuff but then when it's happening over and over and over to you it really negatively affects your quality of life so like cbd and cannabinoids you know seem to have similar effects or or, or seem to have to be treating similar conditions because it's shit that we deal with all the time that a lot of western medicine may fall short or, you know, some of these things that, that Dr. Lorbeck just mentioned also sound like side effects to a lot of the typical Western treatments of shit. You know what I mean? It sounds like that's a list of side effects that you would see on a pill bottle. Or the drug commercials, yeah. 
That's right. Yeah. Exactly. The smiling people that are playing with the flowers as they're having diarrhea. <laughs> really paint a picture there, Jared. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to put you, I think we're going to wrap up soon. I really want, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You've got a bunch of patients that are listening to you right now or prospective patients. You have a platform, like you're sitting in a gymnasium right now and they've given you 60 seconds to tell people like all the things you wish you could tell people about acupuncture that wasn't just one patient sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, I'm going to go back to something that I said earlier in the in the show. Um, and the fact of the matter is that every single human being has this beautiful, innate intelligence right within to help the body heal. And sometimes the body needs a a gentle reminder in order to tap into that intelligence. And acupuncture is a safe and effective way of helping people achieve optimal health, even in the face of chronic illness. That's perfect. Great. Poetry. I couldn't have said it better myself. Of course I couldn't. I'm not Dr. Lorbeck. Dr. Lorbeck, please tell people how they can find you. Like uh, if if people want to find you, if they want to find more information, lead people uh, to to that information. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, people. I mean, feel free uh, to just shoot me an email, Angela underscore M underscore Lorbeck at rush dot edu um, is probably the best way to get in touch with me. I don't have any sort of fancy website um, or fantastic podcast like you guys have. Um, so just Not send yet. me send me an old fashioned email. <laughs> I think you're one of the last practitioners uh, that on your rush.edu like bio page has your email on it. Oh, really? I sure don't have mine on there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even know. What I have like anymore. many b- barriers in place. Although we do have your doctor friends podcast at gmail.com. That yep. can get to me. <laughs> you can. Good call to action there, Julie. Yes. E- email Jeremy. He'll read it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Acupuncture can be a beautiful text message to your brain and body. Let's all stay in a place of curiosity. Listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Well, let's get it started, babe. Babe, please cut that out. That was so <laughs> Can I say that last one again? Not only will I not cut it out, I'm going to keep this other part that you kept going there going. I quit. I'm quitting. We're close here on this podcast.